Good morning, everybody. How are y'all? Oh, nice. Um, welcome to Redemption Church. Glad you all made it this morning. It's Master's Week, so we're a little slim, it looks like. It's kind of funny, like, the week after Easter, which is, like, high attendance Sunday, then, then we, like, low attendance Sunday is the next, the next week. Anyways, uh, before we get started, would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for how you've loved us, how he loved us. Um, We thank you that he came, that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended to heaven, that he sent his Holy Spirit, Lord, that you've given us a gift of life through Christ. I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts um, and stir our affections for you, uh, that you would help us to comprehend uh, how deep and wide the love of Christ is for us, and Lord, uh, that that would, that would stir up a love just as deep and wide back to you. I pray that what you would want said would be said, uh, what you want heard would be heard, and knowing that I'm, my words will fail and yours won't, so we, we pray that, that, you, uh, that you say what you'd like to say this morning. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this morning is, like I said, it's the week after Easter. Um, so last week was Holy Week, or the week before last was Holy Week, and we celebrated throughout the week uh, Jesus' life and uh, his coming into Jerusalem and his Last Supper, his death, and his resurrection. And last Sunday we, we thought about his resurrection together and we, we celebrated that with family. Maybe you had you came to church and you maybe ate with some people and hopefully you thought about that and what, what, what that means for us and that's salvation. Um, hopefully that landed a little bit and that's a good thing. Uh, but maybe you feel like I do sometimes. This is, this is kind of how I felt this year and sometimes I feel this way, to be honest. is like it's, then it's over, right? I mean, you got like Christmas through Easter and there's kind of something in the in the holidays coming up about that's pointing us to Christ from his birth all the way to his death and resurrection and then it's over and like we've got the story and it's done and I kind of just get left thinking like you know like what do I do now a little bit uh, especially you know with Master's Week is here that's a thing for us in Augusta right I mean I don't know if any of you guys rented out your house or you helped somebody clean or you drove cars or you maybe you went to the tournament or whatever we had some guests come in so, like, the beginning of the week, I've never worked so hard on my house in my life, you know, and uh, was exhausted, and then we went to the tournament on Friday, like, for 12 and a half hours, and yesterday, I just, I was done, you know, just spent, and you don't even have time to think about uh, about the Bible, and about Jesus, and about the implications, that's the way it feels like, and it just, it just seems like in such a distant past for me, you know, last week was Easter, what do I do with it now? But earlier in the week when I was reading uh, through trying to land on exactly where I wanted to speak about this, this passage this morning in John 21 really landed with me because of that, because we, I think that the disciples found themselves in sort of a similar situation uh, after, after Christ rose again. Uh, in John 21, let's see, in John 20, we see that Jesus is risen again and that he uh, reveals himself to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. 
And then after that, he passes through locked doors somehow and reveals himself to all the disciples who are basically afraid and so they're behind locked doors. He reveals himself to them. Thomas wasn't there at the time. So then he goes back several weeks later or several days later and uh, Thomas is there. And Thomas is the one that said, I'm not going to believe unless I touch him and I, I see the wounds and you know, feel his side. And, and so he, he goes in and uh, through locked doors again and reveals himself to Thomas and the disciples who are there. So that's, that's three things. Just in John where we see Christ is back. They've seen him. They know that he's risen from the dead. And they, they kind of know what that means. And then in uh, John 21, this is where we pick up. John 21. And I'm going to read right now verse 1 through 8. So after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. It's like Forrest Gump. I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. It seems to me like they're kind of in the same situation. You see Peter and these guys, they're, they're, they're finally out of locked doors, that's good, and they're out by the sea, and uh, Peter's like, hey, why don't we just go fishing for fish? That's what we used to do. Let's do that. We have nothing better to do. And I don't know if you remember the story of how Jesus called him in the first place, but I think it's in Luke 5, and you can look at it later, but basically when Jesus first comes to Peter, and calls him to be his disciple. He gets into his boat because there's a lot of people gathered around and he needs a place to, to get off just a little bit to be able to speak to them. So he gets in the boat, they push out just a little bit off land, he speaks, and then he's like, hey, why don't we go fishing? And Peter's like, well, I haven't caught anything all day, so, but if you want to, that's fine. He goes out there, he tells him where to cast the net, and he pulls in so many fish that his lines are breaking, his nets are breaking, and he has to call some other people to pull them in, right? And then when that, that little scenario is over, then he's like, hey, why don't you follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And it says they got back to shore, they pulled that stuff in, they dropped everything that they had and they followed him. That was it. It was done. Right? Until now. And we see Jesus is done. He's been with them for a few years. Jesus died. He rose again. They've seen him. And now they're just going fishing for fish again. It seems odd to me. It seems like kind of where... I just, it makes sense with me. You know, that's where I am at the moment, maybe. Um, so anyways, in the story, Jesus finds the men that he, uh, that he called out of that life of fishing for fish to a life of fishing for men. And he finds them out in a boat fishing for fish. And what does he do? Uh, he doesn't seem to give them like a sharp reprimand or, or anything like that. He just gives them a whole bunch more fish or it has to be a bunch more because they didn't catch any. He gives them 153 fish, I think it is. We'll see that in a second. And uh, so many that you would think that the nets would break, but they didn't. 
Uh, and then he gives them, gets them to shore. He makes them breakfast. And then he just kind of leans into Peter a little. And he's just like full of grace and how he starts to teach. And you also got to love. I, you just see this over and over again in the Gospels. Like Jesus is always teaching next to mounds of leftovers. You ever notice that? <laughs> it's always like, there's a lot of leftovers here. There's a lesson in that. And they're like, but we're hungry. You know, like, where are we going to get food? How are we? And it, it happens over and over again. I really like how Jesus does that. There's something there for us. Uh, but in, uh, in John 21, 9 through 17. And if you have one of these paperback Bibles that are on the back there, I meant to tell you that. It's page 776. Other than that, I don't know what page number you have. Um, John 21, 9 through 17. When they, got out of, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with, Je- with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And, all, and, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Uh, And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. So he's like, like I said, he, he, he gives him a bunch of fish with a hundred and probably 140 fish left over next to him. And uh, then he just kind of feeds them breakfast and leans into Peter a little bit and starts pushing on this question, do you love me? Yeah, I, leave, I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Uh, do you love me? Feed my sheep. For some reason, you've got to like wonder what's going on there a little bit, right? Why does he keep asking? And, and, and obviously Peter gets a little discouraged by it. But you got to, I feel like uh, Jesus is asking him, well, he finally gets where Peter says, you know that I love you, right? Well, you know everything. You know that I love you. You think that Jesus is leaning into him a little bit to say, like, do you know that you love me? Do you know what that looks like? For some reason, and this probably doesn't even fit, but it just came into my mind when I was preparing. Do, do any of you watch the movie Elf at Christmas? Right? And, you know, Will Ferrell's in that goofy outfit, and uh, he falls in love with Zoe Deschanel through the movie, throughout the movie. And they go on this date, and they have like the, the world's worst cup of coffee, or the world's best cup of coffee, but it, it was really bad. And they do all kinds of crazy stuff, and he's in love. And he comes back to a very important board meeting with his father uh, in there, and he comes in, and he's like, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. You remember that? Like, it's really goofy, and he's like swinging around. And Anyways, it's really funny. But... But isn't that how we are we're like, when we're in love? I mean, that's how it starts out in that movie. Even He's like going to meet his father. He doesn't know that his father's not a really good dude. And he's going to meet him, and he's telling everybody, like, my father is great, I love him. He lives in, this, in, the, or he's in the Empire State Building, and he's a great dad. He's the best dad ever. Then he falls in love with a girl, and he just, you know, it's the, it's the cheesy, whimsical thing from any love thing. You throw your hat off. And, I, love, I love so-and-so. They're the greatest thing that ever happened. 
And, but that is how we feel when we're actually in love, when we actually realize that we do love somebody or love something, right? That's what you do is you start exalting it to everybody. Like you start just praising it so that everybody knows how great this thing is that you love. And you want, you really kind of want everybody to agree with you, you know? So what do you do when you love somebody or something? You, you tell the world. I, I'm guilty of this probably with my kids on Facebook, right? If you don't know what my kids look like, I mean, just get on my Facebook page. It's everywhere, I get, you know, uh, and we're all like that, right? But you plaster the internet with pictures from your dates or when you get engaged or your wedding or maybe like when you're getting in the front seat of the car to go to the supermarket, you just snap a selfie or uh, <laughs> whatever. You know, you just plaster it everywhere. This is the person I'm with and I'm, I'm in love with them. Uh, and you want them to know that you do anything for them. I feel that like Jesus here is basically saying, if you love me, and I know that you do, but I want you to know it, then you'll tell everybody. You'll feed my people, you'll tend my sheep, you'll go after the lost, and uh, you'll keep those that are found. So he really presses them on that. Do you love me? What's that look like if you love me? Then you'll feed my sheep. You'll go after the lost. You'll keep those that are found. You'll, uh, you'll tend the flock. And that doesn't really sound that hard to me. You know, that doesn't really sound like that big of a deal. And I think that we often kind of stop at that point in the message. And that, that's the whole, the whole thing. Like, well, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again so that you would have eternal life. Can't you at least, you know, love him back and just like love others? I, I get that message a lot. Sometimes on social media or something, I'll see like the pictures of Jesus, you know, with his hands out on the cross and it's a, a gory picture and it's like, he died for you. Can't you love him? And it, I don't know something about it just doesn't sit right with me. Like, he died for me. Can't you at least do this? I don't think that's the whole message there. I don't. And if that's where we're stopping, I'm not sure that we, we have the whole picture. Um, so, and, and we're going to pick up in John 18 uh, through 23 because there's just a little bit more. John 18 through 23. So he says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at a table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple is not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but... If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Right? So he says, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. Follow me and do that even to your death. Right? Ooh, that just got... That's not fun. And I don't think that that's for everybody. I don't think everybody's going to die because they love Jesus. Right? But But all through the Gospels... 
Jesus is constantly telling people, look, you need to count the cost because if you follow me, there's some risk. There's, you're going to have to give up everything. Uh, you're going to have to follow me. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. He says all through the Gospels to the people that it's really risky. That uh, if you follow me, it's possible that your family won't get it. And you guys aren't going to be on good terms anymore. And you have to leave them. Uh, if you follow Jesus, uh, the message that you give people in love won't always perceive, be perceived as loving. And you might be labeled lots of things, intolerant or lots of things, even if that's not what you are. You know, uh, if, uh, if you follow him and you spread the good news of Jesus and, and you call people away from, from things that aren't really good for them and you're calling them away from it, not because you're just like a Bible thumper, you know, but because you actually care for a person and you know that Jesus has said to do live a certain way because that's what's the way we were made to be or the way we were made to live, and so you call people out from that life. Well, you know what? There's a lot of people that profit off of a of life that's not good for people. And so you, if you, if you lay, live a life that calls people away from, from stuff that's going to bring others profit, then people are going to be mad at you for taking their money. Uh, if you live a life uh, following Christ, your life could be in danger. Um, you remember the one where he says, I'm just going to go back and bury my parents? And he's like, no, you don't have time for that if you're going to follow me. So your parents might not be buried. Uh, your savings could be depleted. Your retirement could be gone. You may only live until 30 or less. I mean, who knows, right? There is a risk in following Christ. And I don't think it's enough. I just, I just think we need to put it out there. I don't think it's enough. And I don't think Jesus puts it out there like it's enough to say, look, I'm going to die for you, so if you'll just kind of at least... Like, love me back, tell me that you love me, and just and be nice to other people, right? Now, Jesus seems like it's a lot bigger of a deal. Like, he says, look, if you love me, you're going to have to follow me, and following me is going to mean everything. And there's a real risk involved to your life, to everything that you hold close. You have to hate everything else in comparison with how much you love me, right? But if you love me, you'll feed my sheep, no matter what it costs. Uh, I feel like, so Jesus is kind of saying, I know you love me, Peter. That's why I'm asking. Because uh, you need to know that you love me. You need to know what that cost looks like. You need to count it. Uh, look at what Jesus did, you know. He kind of has got to be pointing back to himself there. I, I love my Father. And look where it led me. To the cross, right? So we also need to look to Jesus in that and say... Yes, I want to follow Jesus. I think it's amazing that he came and that he died and that he rose again and that, and that I can have salvation. That means I get to live forever. Yeah, like starting right now, that means you get to live forever. But life isn't just like the breathing and the heartbeat and all that, right? Life is living like Jesus made you to live. And so he's offering you to live like he made you to live from now and forever. And that may mean that there's a risk to the heartbeat, the flesh, the the breathing in, the breathing out. It may mean a risk to something less than just your life, but you've got to be willing to give up your life. So what about us? That's the question for us this morning. What about us? Easter's past. Until next year, Resurrection Sunday is, is gone until next year. Have you thought about that? Have you counted the cost? Are you asking yourself that? What's your response to them? 
Is it like Peter? Or are you like, well, I mean, maybe, maybe I'll be willing to risk it, but what, what about him? What about that guy? What are you going to do with him? Because, I mean, it, doesn't, it wouldn't seem fair, Jesus, like if I had to die and John didn't, you know. We do that a lot. I mean, with a lot of different things. Um, you know, maybe you're called to a life of not being wealthy. Well, what about my friend? Are they, are they going to be not wealthy with me? That seems fair, right? Or, or whatever. There's a lot of things. Um, if you wonder, like me, what happens after Resurrection Sunday, I think that this is the, the message. It's done. And, and now it's coming to you and me. Are you going to follow Jesus? Have you counted the cost? Have you thought about what loving God did to Jesus? Because following Jesus means following him even to that point. So now we count the cost. We think about that. Deal with that for a little bit. One of my favorite things, I'm almost done. Maybe, maybe it's quick, I don't know. Uh, one of my favorite things about the story is that big haul of fish, 153 fish in the nets, and how that parallels the story of when he first started following Christ. All right? So in the beginning, he says, cast your nets out anyways, and he brings in a ton of fish, and he has to call some people over to help him haul it in, and the nets are breaking, and they can't barely get it in. And he says, I'm not going to ask you to fish for fish anymore. I'm going to ask you to fish for men. And that's the kind of stuff I'm going to do, but with men. And here at the end, we see him. He catches him fishing for fish again. I mean, Peter's got his stuff off. He's, he's dressed for work, it says. You know, he's back in it. And she's like, you, it's so gracious of him just to give him that reminder. So he says, put him on the other side. Put the nets out on the other side. And they bring in this huge haul of 153 fish. There's only like a few of them. It named the people there. What is that, like six people or something? And uh, they bring in 153 fish and the nets don't rip. I don't even think I totally get that, Right? That's big. Jesus is saying, I called you to be fishers of men, and I've got plenty to feed everybody, so stop worrying about that. Go feed. You know? So we've been talking a lot around here about praying to see 100 people come to know Christ at Redemption Church. It's not just a thing to pray for. It's for, if we're called to be followers of Jesus, then we want to be telling people about Jesus, because that's what Jesus did. As he spread the good news of the kingdom coming. And so we ought to be doing the same thing. And if we're doing the same thing, we've got to believe that if he's telling us to put out our nets somewhere, that he's going to fill them up. Because that's what he does, you know? So we've been talking about that and asking you to pray for 100 people to come to know Christ at, at Redemption Church. So now I'm just asking, who are they? You know, where, where are we supposed to put out the nets? And are we going to do that together? Are we in? Like, what if, what if we look bad? You know? What if, what if it's risky? Like, what if we don't look like... <laughs> we already kind of don't. But what if we don't look like a normal, you know, Georgia church because of it? What if it gets risky? I mean, Jesus was called a drunkard because of the people he hung out with. Who are we going to hang out with? Are we willing to be called some names? Are we willing to take those risks together to put out the net, knowing that he can fill it up? It's not our job to fill it up. He'll do that, but are we following him? I know that as we move into downtown, 
there's a lot of people there that need to know Christ, right? And that's one place we can kind of put in together. Um, I don't want to make it about a building. I don't, because I really think that there's more at stake. I think that this is about you and me thinking about the cost and really deciding that we're going all in with them. Um, if, you've, if you've known Christ since you were five, and for some reason it's you've never really thought about that cost, then, then I'd encourage you to do that. He's, he wants you to consider that. Peter knew him for a while, and he's still reminding him it's okay to, to have to deal with that right now. If you, if you don't know Jesus, hear what we're saying. Jesus can make you who you were created to be. Apart from him, you cannot be who you are created to be, which is a vessel to glorify God, to, to make him known, just to love him and make him known. That's what you were created for. Nothing else that you do will ever give you life because that's what you were made to do. So hear that that's good news for you. You're broken. You'll never do the job you were created to do, but you can because of Christ. But it could be risky to the life you know now. So we'd ask you to count the cost. Um, as we move downtown, like I said, God isn't just giving us a building so that we can go about business as usual. I mean, God, you got to admit, like the buildings come about in a crazy way, and God's really provided here. Um, it's not, we don't just go about business as usual, do we? We have a responsibility. And those people downtown, the people in Augusta, the people where you work, the people in your neighborhood, those are his sheep. Are you going to feed them? Um, it could be risky. People might call you this or that. The church might look a little bit different than others in the Bible Belt. Um, we might get called names together. We might get called names separately. But I, I guess I'm asking, like, so what? You love them, you love them, and you don't care who knows it. Um, in the next few minutes, we're going to have a time of response, and uh, we'll do a few things that we do every week. One is we come and we take communion. You can take the bread and you can dip it in the wine or the juice. And in so doing, we're remembering Christ. We're remembering that he came, that he died, and that he rose again, and that he gave his, himself for us so that we would have life. When we do this, um, it's just a reminder for us. It's, uh, it's appointing each other back to Christ. It's appointing to those who, who don't know him back to Christ this morning also. And so if you're a Christian, we invite you to come, whether you're a member of this church or not, and take. The only reason we say if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, we would ask you not to do that, only because when we do that, we're saying that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's done what he said he would do. And so if you don't believe that, we would just ask that you not say that you believe that. If you would sit where you are, think about it, or stand up and find me, or find somebody else, and, uh, and when we would talk, I mean, I'd be glad to talk with you, uh, or pray with you about anything. So uh, take this time to contemplate that. The band will come up, and they'll lead us in worship, and we can sing, and you can pray, and you can reflect however you need to do that. And then uh, also in the back, we have a basket for tithes and offerings. If you're a member of the church, uh, that's where that goes. And um, I always say that we, we want to promote cheerful giving. It's not really about just funding what we're doing. That's part of it. We're, in a, we're on mission together here. So if we're on mission together, we, wanna, we have to do that together. But um, tithing and, not, and, and giving is, is really a big thing about how we trust God. You know? And it's really uh, a rewarding thing for us to be able to do. So I don't want it to be... It's not one of those things where we're just asking for money. 
it's actually a it's actually a time of response. So um, this is also a good time for you to pick up your kids from Redemption Kids. You can check them out at the desk and bring them back in here as we respond together and, and close the service. If you would, pray with me. Father, we thank you again for Jesus. We thank you for what he's done for us. We thank you that dead hearts are beating, that dead, dead people are, are made alive. We know that we're broken apart from you, that we were created with the single purpose to know you and make you known. And anything that doesn't do what it was created to do is going to be is dead. It's broken. It doesn't work. And Jesus made a way for us to work again. And we'll find the most satisfaction in there. We may find the most joy in that in there. So, Father, I, I know that it's a, it's a call to risk. It's a call to some great cost, or at least perceived great cost to us to follow you. But I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts to know that we love you, that to know that you love us and to make that love ignite love for you and us, Lord. And uh, that we would just want to tell the world that we would make fools of ourselves for your name. Like David, that we'd be even more undignified than this. That we would take risks. And Father, more than anything, I just pray that as we do that and we cast our nets out, that you fill them up with men, that you fill them up with the people in our city, that you would save the lost, that people would come to know you, that they'd be a part of our family, they would point others to Jesus. And Lord, would that not just happen here, but may we have that reach out all over, even overseas where we're, we're able to be a part. Thank you again. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for last week. Uh-huh. May it propel us into next week. In Jesus' name, amen.